Welcome to Married to Politics. This podcast focuses on political topics that you accidentally end up discussing with someone way more knowledgeable than you. Except here, I save you the trouble by discussing politics accidentally on purpose. I'm Sarah Goggins, here with my husband, Derek Santola, who is the true political expert. Not unlike most mornings in our house, each episode, Derek surprises me with a key political issue that he is overprepared to discuss, while I ask the hard-hitting and often awkward questions until I either understand or tire him out on the topic. So Derek, what are we talking about today? Before we jump into the content of today's podcast, I want to make a plug for our fantasy presidential cabinet game. The link for that information is going to be in the show notes, and you can also go to our website, mtppod.com. The purpose of the game is to pick the selections that President-elect Joe Biden will have for his cabinet. Again, he's rolled out a number of picks since we released the game, including Treasury Secretary nominee Janet Yellen, Secretary of State Tony Blinken, nominee for Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas, as well as his Chief of Staff for the White House, Ron Klain. But with that said, there's many nominees that are still waiting to be revealed. Reportedly, Biden is going to pick Javier Becerra to be his Health and Human Services Secretary, but he has not named a pick for um, Secretary of Defense or Attorney General, amongst many others. So we ask that you go to our website, mtppod.com, to play the game and consider contributing a few bucks towards the Georgia Senate runoffs that are going on right now with the election day coming up on January 5th. Those races can hold the power of balance for the Senate for the first two years of the Biden administration. And now we'll get to the substantive part of today's podcast. Well, Sarah, since it's December, that means Congress is in session and they're trying to get through three major funding provisions before the end of the year. Ew. So what I'd like to talk about is COVID-19 relief. Okay. Funding the federal government past its current deadline of December 11th. And finally, the National Defense Authorization Act. So let's jump right into the first one, COVID-19 relief. On Tuesday, the beginning of the month, a bipartisan group of senators and members of the House unveiled a $908 billion plan for emergency relief. What's in it? So this would fund extending unemployment benefits and small business loans. That's good, right? Yeah. So this was actually a compromise. You see, for months, uh, representatives from Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House's office, and Secretary of the Treasury Stephen Mnuchin were trying to hammer out a deal to extend COVID relief. Unlike other major industrialized countries like in Europe, and Asia, who have extended multiple rounds of COVID relief through the form of stimulus checks and other benefits, the United States has managed to get through one massive provision back in April. That was the CARES Act. As you probably remember, everybody that fell within a certain income level got given a check for $1,200, and that's been about it. There's been continued unemployment insurance, which covers people who've lost their jobs due to the COVID pandemic, and they've been receiving about $600 a week. But weren't there also issues of like companies who weren't really small businesses eat, eating up all the small business loans so actual small businesses couldn't get it? Yeah, there's been a lot of issues with the PPP. What that did was to try to ensure that the small businesses were kept afloat. However, to your point, there were a lot of larger businesses 
that were qualified and receive payouts. But this pandemic has been unforgiving regardless of the size of company. Not everyone's been thriving, so everyone has required government intervention. Now, specifically, this $908 billion plan was seen as a middle ground between the Republican-led efforts for a skinny provision, which was around $500 billion, which was backed by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and the HEROES Act, which was passed multiple times in the House, most recently October, and has been supported by Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, the Democratic Minority Leader in the Senate. So what this bipartisan agreement would do would actually extend coverage of unemployment insurance and other provisions through March 2021, setting up a first quarter of 2021 coverage that would lead into a President Biden administration. That sounds great. Yeah, so it's a compromise. However, not everybody's on board with this. Shocking. So Is this controversial or are people just being sucky? Yeah, so let's talk about who's against it, what's in the deal, and then kind of what the sticking points are. Okay. So those that are against it are... Who are those people? Yeah, so Mitch McConnell, uh, who was circulating his own proposal amongst Senate um, Republican members uh, earlier uh, in the week um, after he and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy met with White House officials. The White House isn't exactly on board. However, President Trump has come out several times saying that he believes coronavirus relief should be issued to the American public. Um, that that plan that the, that McConnell and McCarthy came up with, based off of sources, is only about a one-month extension. So it, it would get us from the current deadline, which is December 31st, end of this year, through January 31st, the end of the first month of next year. So that's who's against it. Let's talk about what specifically is in the, the deal. So again, I said that the total package will come out to be about $908 billion. However, this isn't all new funding. In fact, it repurposes some $560 billion in unused funds from the CARES Act, which I mentioned was passed earlier in the year. Now, that bill was around $2.2 trillion. So about a quarter of that would be used again and would be repurposed. So this new proposal actually adds only about $348 billion in new spending. Okay. It also issues $160 billion for state, local, and tribal governments. One of the things that has occurred during this pandemic is that uh, state, local, and tribal governments have gone belly up. They've gone tremendously into debt. Specifically, U.S. cities alone are facing around a $360 billion shortfall and are being forced to pursue austerity measures to balance their own budgets. States are looking at about a $500 billion deficit. However, Mitch McConnell has gone on record saying that that's not really an issue for him. At one point, even suggesting that states should declare bankruptcy. You've probably heard on the news that there's this blue state bailout concept that McConnell thinks that states that are run by Democrats haven't properly managed their books and that this pandemic is just showing that their faulty um, fiscal policy is not working. However, again, this pandemic has been... Pretty equal. And that just as, feels like he's playing politics with people's lives, though. So is he going? Money. Is he going to sign the nine hundred and eight billion dollar deal? Are we going to see a success here? I think this is a first start. As we get into the other provisions that I want to discuss, this is this has got bipartisan support from members of his own caucus as well as the Democratic side. Um, Senator Lisa Murkowski said on record that you know this is emergency relief. It's designed to get us through the next quarter. 
Okay, but she's not exactly known for sticking to her gun. So whatever she says in the media, I don't necessarily know that I trust. Well, I think there's a general consensus amongst the middle of both parties that something needs to be done. They made a massive effort at the beginning of the year, but this pandemic isn't slowing down. In fact, it's ratcheting up with the colder weather. And I think there's a general understanding that something needs to be done. So people like Lisa Murkowski, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who's a moderate Democrat, understand that this may not be perfect and not everyone's going to get exactly what they want out of it, but it's important that something gets passed. Okay, so what else is in the bill? I talked about unemployment insurance. $180 billion would go to that specifically alone. The CARES Act gave unemployed Americans a weekly $600 lifeline on top of state and unemployment insurance. And this was widely regarded as staving off a catastrophe for millions of Americans who lost their jobs this year. The average unemployment insurance recipient is getting 134% of their previous salary, which may have temporarily lowered the poverty rate, which is a good thing. However, that program expired in August, and any relief now would be welcome for those that are still unemployed. Hmm. And according to the Tax Policy Center, an extension wouldn't cover the full cost of unemployment workers' needs. Instead, it would only be about an additional $300 a week for the next four months, so a fraction of what the CARES Act rolled out. But better than nothing. Better than nothing. Additionally, another $288 billion in support for small businesses. Uh, that money will partially come through the Paycheck Protection Program, which we talked about earlier. Not perfect, but at least new money is going to be coming in. And it's estimated that 79% of small businesses have been negatively affected by the COVID-19. So this is obviously a, a bright spot for um, government intervention. Yeah, it sounds like it's deeply needed. Absolutely. Another area that really needs money to flow is another $25 billion in rental assistance. So President Trump signed an executive order earlier in this year that put a moratorium on, on on evictions through the end of the year. Again, this looming deadline of December 31st for COVID-related issues, a lot's riding on that, so something needs to get passed. So what this rental assistance would do, many economists predict that tenants currently owe nearly $70 billion in back rent by the end of the year. Mm. Again, those moratorium on evictions go through December 31st. So January 1st, people can January 1st, be, be out on the street. There will be a flood of evictions. Well, that's so, immensely frustrating and concerning. Right. And, and this $25 billion, while a lot, doesn't cover the entirety of what economists say is needed in back rent. And many policy experts and advocates have been pushing for $100 billion to be included in stimulus negotiations or in order to prevent an eviction crisis. That could impact as many as 40 million Americans. Mm. So again, Congress is allocating a fraction of the cost of what's recommended. There are other provisions in there for transportation, including airlines and Amtrak. $16 billion for vaccine development, COVID-19 testing and tracing. $82 billion in federal education funding. $10 billion for the Postal Service, which, as we know, has been overwhelmed currently with holiday cards, but previously with absentee ballots. So, and other mail, and then $10 billion for child care. Okay. This all seems great. Is it getting passed, yes or no? So there are some unresolved sticking points. So first of, of all is whether there's going to be a new round of stimulus checks. Both Nancy Pelosi and President Trump have gone on record saying that they think there should be another round of stimulus checks issued to the American public. However, this package does not include more checks. Also, Mitch McConnell and other Republicans have strongly been pushing for liability protections for businesses that are worried about being sued for exposing customers and workers to COVID. This package will, in the language, provide short-term federal protection from coronavirus, 
related lawsuits with the purpose of giving states time to develop their own response. So it's kind of a band-aid. So between the checks and the liability protections, this is not favored by either the Democrats, President Trump, or Mitch McConnell. However, my final assessment is that this is a compromise. It's not enough money to tackle all the problems. However, it's bipartisan effort. People are actually talking, which is always a good thing on the Hill. And that these are an improvement since the last substantive discussions between Mnuchin and Pelosi that I mentioned were back in October. Okay, so it seems like we just got to keep our head down and get this thing passed. That's right. Okay, next one. So the next one is going to be the government funding bill. Way back in September 30th, which feels like a millennium ago, President Trump signed a temporary stopgap funding measure into law avoiding a government shutdown, which kept agencies running through December 11th. Okay, and that's coming up. So if we don't have a new new funding bill... Government shuts down on December 11th, 12th? On, on the 12th, that's right. So the, the reason that Trump signed in on September 30th, which is this avoided a crisis of the election. However, the election's over and Congress has yet to re-up the government funding. Why? Again, we were all focused on who was going to be in the next Congress. Now that the election is behind us, with the exception of the Georgia Senate runoffs, appropriators, so people that are working on this budgeting, they reached a top-line agreement on spending levels um, however, there's a couple of roadblocks, including opposition from House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and a disagreement over whether $2 billion that Republicans want to allocate for President Trump's border wall, not to mention the possibility that Trump might be reluctant to sign the bill anyways. Why? Well, there are a couple of things that he's wanting to ensure get into his bill. I mean, I, again, we talked about that border wall. Congress are, is also trying to include the stimulus spending in a continuing resolution which would uh, continue to fund the federal government likely through the first quarter of 2021 if some of those provisions don't match up with what president trump wants he wouldn't be inclined to sign it and don't forget president trump isn't going to be president in about a month so if he wants the government to shut down at the end of his watch and leave that problem to joe biden i don't know that he would actually have any issues with not letting the government run. It's happened multiple times during his administration already. And if he's not going to be president and not responsible for the government funding moving forward, he has no reason to sign it. Okay, but that's a watch the world burn mentality. Is this getting passed? It's very likely that what's going to happen is that Congress will get together and pass a continuing resolution, getting us through at minimum inauguration day, possibly even through the next quarter of next year. There's going to likely be a vote on it during this upcoming week, and we'll likely get through without a government shutdown. However, expect public statements to come out that this isn't perfect, and people are going to be a little disappointed in not getting what they want. If the issues can't be resolved in time to pass an omnibus spending package, which both Speaker Pelosi and Majority Leader McConnell want, uh, lawmakers can always pass a short-term CR, continuing resolution, and then pump the issue to, to Biden uh, in 2021. Uh, specifically, Senate Appropriations Committee Chairman Richard Shelby went on the record and said that a stopgap CR looks likely given how much work still remains on an omnibus bill. So like I said before, it's really likely that what's going to happen is Congress will pass it for a few more months and let the next Congress continue to try to fund it. So just keep kicking the can down the road. Keep kicking the can down the road. What will be interesting to see is if that CR is tied in with any of the coronavirus relief that we talked about earlier. Okay. So the last part that we're going to talk about is the National Defense Authorization Act. 
NDAA. So this is the NDAA. The NDAA is significant because for the last 59 years, this bill, come hell or high water, has been signed into law. This would be the 60th year for that record to continue. In the event that it fell apart, we're talking flight pay for those in the Air Force, hazard pay for those in other branches of the military. This is what sets the income for those that are serving overseas in our armed forces. So let's talk about what's been proposed. In the House during this year, they passed a bill with a veto-proof 295 to 125 vote in July. And that bill approved by the House included a provision to require the executive to consult with Congress before invoking the Insurrection Act. So what you'll likely remember is back in July, we were having all these street protests and there were gassing by our federal police force as well as the National Guard. And so the Insurrection Act, by way of background, is a federal law that empowers the president to deploy military and federalized National Guard troops within the U.S. in particular circumstances such as to suppress civil disorder, insurrection, and rebellion. Back in June, President Trump warned that he would invoke that act in response to those demonstrations following the killing of George Floyd. And in his official statement, Trump urged every governor to deploy the National Guard in sufficient numbers to reestablish civil law and order until, quote, the violence has been quelled. So what this NDAA would do would be required that the president seek approval and consult with Congress before invoking that act. The House bill also blocked appropriations from being used for nuclear testing, and it also included an amendment introduced by Representative Tulsi Gabbard, who you probably remember ran for president, which would let soldiers use cannabis derivatives like CBD and would countermand the Department of Defense policy uh, if the bill becomes law. The defense policy is that members of the armed forces can't use cannabis derivatives like CBD oil or, or, or other things. On the Senate side, the Senate passed a bill, 86 to 14, over a threat by President Trump, a veto threat, which included a provision to rename military bases that honor Confederate soldiers. Okay, yeah, this one's been in the news. I mean, just change the name. I don't think it's that big. Just change the name. I think there's bipartisan support to to have those names be changed. Good. Specifically, both Republicans and Democrats have come out to say that um, this is something that we can easily take care of. And within the Senate bill, it would phase out the Confederate named bases to new bases over a period of three years. These things don't happen overnight. They don't happen at the drop of a hat. New names have to be chosen. They have to be vetted. They have to be appropriated. And then those uh, base names are, are could then be changed. So that was Trump's veto threat over the summer that he wouldn't sign the NDAA if the Confederate named uh, bases would change. It's absurd. The bill also included an amendment offered by Senator Jim Inhofe from Oklahoma that had a limited ban of transfer of bayonets, grenades, tracked combat vehicles, and weaponized drones from the military to law enforcement. I'm sorry, are we just handing out bayonets? Yeah, actually, there's in several years past, the NDAA authorized um, decommissioned military equipment to transfer from the military to our police forces. Yeah, no, I'm hung up on bayonets. Who is using a bayonet? That's the pointy thing at the end of a gun, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
As a former army officer, the only time I ever used a bayonet was during inventory. You used a bayonet? Yeah, we received had... we received bayonet training oh during gosh. basic training. In the event that you have hand to hand combat, stab you, him with the pointy end you, of the gun. You still have the opportunity to fix bayonets and charge the hill. Oh my! No God. one does that anymore, <laughs> but they still exist. I guess there is still a purpose. Perhaps cutting open a uh, an MRE to eat for lunch. <laughs> what that Inhofe amendment also. Uh, required would be law enforcement to be trained in de-escalation as well as citizens' constitutional rights. There's obviously a bipartisan effort. This is a Republican senator trying to uh, make amends for the uproar that was created following the George Floyd killing earlier this year. Well, I kind of love that. I like that. I mean, I don't know that anyone should be against additional training, additional tools, additional tactics to be better at, at their job. That That makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think these are one of those things that kind of don't make headline news, but there are still efforts. It should. It absolutely should. So I'm glad that we're able to use our platform to bring that to light. A couple of things that didn't make it into the bill. Uh, Senator Mitt Romney from Utah uh, proposed an amendment that would restrict President Trump's ability to reduce U.S. military presence in Germany. So we've been in Germany ever since World War II. We have major installations there. What President Trump was trying to do was to counteract NATO because, you know, he's long said that European countries don't provide their own support to contributing to NATO. And so if they're not going to pony up their their money, he's going to pull our troops out of Germany. Okay, I guess a few a question on this. Putting a provision in a bill specifically because of Trump when he's not going to be there January 20th. So wouldn't this impact President President Biden? Yes. And I understand that Trump is a horse of another color, a lot of bombastic rhetoric, and questionable choices at best. But aren't you cutting off your nose to spite your face? Why would we? Why would we want to take that power away from future presidents that may be less angry? I mean, if it's a rational decision, like should that decision not be held with the president? It seems a bit absurd to just put these things in a bill for the sake of Trump when he's not going to be there. And the, the ripple effects of that, when we have a calm, cool, collected, rational president, to presume that they aren't going to remove troops in the best interest of the country, I, make, I don't know that that makes sense to me. Am I wrong? So a quick constitutional point, the president is the commander-in-chief, so they, they get to dictate how troops are used in the time of war. However, Congress gets to appropriate money for the military. They do that through the NDAA. So what this would be doing would be to limit any president, regardless of party, regardless of point of view, from pulling troops out of Germany. I think... But we haven't needed that in the past. In the last, what, 59 years, 60 years, this would be a new provision? This wouldn't be a new provision. And don't forget, this also failed, so it's not... It wouldn't be signed into law. Okay. Then I guess we won't waste time on it. I just... And also, President Trump would be the one to sign this. If it doesn't get passed before December 31st, when Congress leaves session... It would be a brand new Congress. They would have to introduce a brand new bill. So this would impact a Biden administration. However, for the time being, it would tie Trump's hands before he leaves office. Okay, so that provision failed. What's next? So another another provision that was uh, offered was by Jeff Merkley, a Democrat out of Oregon. Uh, that amendment would require federal law enforcement uniforms to identify individuals and their agency, limiting their activities to federal property in the immediate surrounding area unless a governor or mayor requests more assistance and to publicly disclose the number of personnel deployed and what activities they're carrying out. However, that didn't even get a vote. That harkens back to over the summer when there were police officers who were showing up without 
um, names on their uniforms or identification what um, what organization they were with. I mean, this just feels like one of those common sense things that is absurd to not already be a law, but okay. Right, but it didn't even get a vote, so that tracks. That's interesting. Uh, finally, the, the specific funding. So what this would do is uh, allocate seven hundred forty billion dollars, um, including six hundred thirty billion for the Pentagon's base budget. Twenty-five billion for national security programs within the Department of Energy. Did you say base or space budget? Base. Okay, I had a lot of follow-up questions. If this was a space budget, although President Trump's standing up of the Space Force, some of that money would flow to them. Okay. But this this is for operations. Um, the Pentagon itself, the, their normal requirements for running day-to-day activities within the Department of Defense. Yep, that that feels much more rational than space budget. They would also give money to the Department of Energy for their national security operations, close to $70 billion for overseas contingency operations account, which is how we fund our wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, as well as a, a war fund that's not subject to budget caps. Uh, so again, this is, this is paying for operations of the Department of Defense. Finally, of interesting note, um, one of the um, criticisms from the left is that our National Defense Authorization Act the money that we spend on defense is obscene. I mean, it's it's light years more than the next closest country. So um, Senator Bernie Sanders approved an amendment which would reduce the budget by $74 billion. Now, again, I said that the total funding for this bill would be $740 billion, So this would be a 10% cut. Okay. However, that amendment was voted down 23 to 77, meaning 77 against. So we continue to fund our military I think supporting the troops is always going to be a bipartisan effort. This is not the year to focus on trimming the defense budget. So what's the final status? This is the interesting part. So I said before that President Trump had threatened to veto the NDAA over Confederate named military bases. He's got a new issue now. Trump threatened to veto the final version of the bill unless it contained a provision to remove Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Oh, yeah, this has been, this is the one where internet platforms or social media platforms have immunity from liability for dumb things people post on their website? Basically, so quick down and dirty, 230, it provides a liability shield for social media companies and other internet providers to serve as a carrier, meaning you can't sue a telephone company if you call someone and tell them, something defamatory about themselves. (laughs) Now, when um, people post things to Twitter, which may be false or misleading information, Twitter, Facebook, others can flag that for being false or misleading without being liable to the user or to anyone for it being posted on their platform. What conservatives have wanted to do is to remove that liability shield because they think that it gives too much power to giant tech corporations like Twitter, like Facebook, like Apple, Google, and others. Senator Jim Inhofe and and other prominent Republicans have come out to support that Section 230 should be repealed. However, this is not the vehicle to do it. So um, Friday, December 4th, Steny Hoyer, who is the majority leader in the House and who, um, aside from Speaker Pelosi, gets to dictate what bills come up for a vote, said that on Tuesday that the NDA would get a vote in the House. It would go from the House to the Senate, and that House bill does not carry any repeal of Section 230. So while President Trump may be threatening to veto 
Congress is still moving their way forward and trying to get this bill passed again for the 60th year in a row. Do we think it's going to get passed? I think it's going to get passed. I think that the repeal for Section 230 is a lot of noise and will be something for conservatives to run for and run against um, in 2021. So final assessment, I think that Congress is going to pass a continuing resolution, which may include some COVID stimulus, which will get us through March 2021. I think the NDA is going to get passed, and I think it's going to give a reason for Republicans to say that we need to give, at minimum, a serious look of Section 230, if not a full repeal moving forward. Okay. Do your jobs. Get these things passed. I agree. I think the good thing is that people are talking, but yeah, Congress, do your jobs. Do what's right for the American public. It's our money. Don't just block our, it's our, it's our money to spend. It's our money. It's our taxes. That's right. They'll get there. I think so. All right. With that, we will end it and hope you all have a great rest of your week.